0: Hello, and welcome to the rest of season Top 150 show. My name is Adam Levitan. Each and every Wednesday on the show, I am joined by two pure virgins, Mike Leone and Mark Dankabring, to talk by lows trading in season long rest of season rankings. Leone, good morning. Good morning, Adam. How are you doing? Better than you. Leone is broken from uh, arguing people all morning about our rest of season rankings. Mark, good morning. Morning. Yeah, if uh, you think I'm a virgin now, just wait till NBA
1: starts next week. Oh, uh, God. Man, there's just going to be nothing left of me.
2: Poor yes. Mark. <laughs> poor one out for Mark. It's been, it's been a good ride, dude.
0: <laughs> Each week, of course, we do do our rest of season top 150 rankings. We put a ton of work into this. It really is. I mean, I, I can't stress enough how hard this is to do and how much work goes into it for Mark and Leone and Herzig. Uh, I think it's very useful for trades. For uh, underdog, best ball stuff for buy lows. We take this really, really seriously. We all go over it. We look, into, we look at it. We massage it all into place. You can't get access to our rest of season top 150 through DraftKit Pro or through the in season package. Also, and I, I actually can't believe I'm saying this. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this. We have a special offer for this week's show. <laughs> if you have a potential trade or other move you are considering on your season long team and want our input. We will answer it. Uh, we will answer it. The only requirements are: you go to our YouTube channel, you subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you ask your question in the comments under the show. We will do our best to help you if you get in your question before Thursday morning. I mean, this is all time, but anyways.
2: Oh, last thing. It's remind. It's. Go I was ahead. gonna say it's a really good use of. Uh, the CEO's time to be yeah. answering these, these <laughs> questions. It's a well-structured organization. Yes. Well, you know what? Our North Star is always, we
0: bring value to the people. And so there's nothing more important than that. Also, last thing, reminder that the Best Ball Resurrection Tournament on Underdog locks Thursday, tomorrow. Our rankings for this contest are up on the site. It's basically a Best Ball Draft for week 6 through 17 only. If you don't have an Underdog account, Promo code ETR for matching deposit bonus up to $100. And again, you know, it's a snake draft on underdog, cool tournament, six through 17 only. Pretty cool. Okay. I think, uh, Leone, we should start with the tight end stuff because I, I think that there is a lot to digest here. George Kittle, Kyle Pitts have not, and Darren Waller have not performed well. And now Darren Waller is hurt. We have moved all these guys closer together. In other words, Higby and Joku are closer to that top tier. We moved Goddard into that tier right there with Kittle and Pitts. I think some people are saying, though, how can you still have George Kittle at tight end three? How can you still have Kyle Pitts at tight end four, et cetera, et cetera? What do you think about the tight
2: end landscape right now and going forward and how these guys kind of interact with each other? Yeah, I think, you know, collectively, maybe we're a little bit too high relative to other positions. But within the position, I feel pretty good about having Kittle and Pitts T3 and 4 in some order. Uh, you could make the argument for Goddard there. Uh, Waller, I want some some clean bill of health before I feel more confident in him. But basically, the tight end position, and this is why, you know, tight ends like outside of the very top are always risky bets as the floor is really bad week to week, almost no matter who you are, the floor is bad. And We've seen some other tight ends that were drafted later thus far through five weeks show better floors than Kyle Pitts, than George Kittle. And I think people aren't understanding why we would have a gap in the rankings when the floor has been the same. But the reason is when you look at what's going to really impact your season. You know, it's not that, you know, maybe Kate Otting got you nine points and Kittle got you seven one week, and that was frustrating. It's George Kittle drops a 40 burger for you in the playoffs. And we've seen the San Francisco 49ers since they switched to Jimmy Garoppolo, they're neutral in terms of pass rate over expectation. It's a really condensed offense. So I think Kittle's going to have some really big spike weeks, and those spike weeks are going to be really meaningful. You know, they're going to be much more meaningful than what other tight ends behind him might do, even if the floor week to week. Is the same. There's also contingent value on a guy like Kittle, where if anything happens to Debo to Ayuk, that condensed passing tree gets condensed even further. So I'm I'm really in on Kittle rest of the season. But Kyle Pitts missed an entire week. He's still second in the entire NFL in tight end air yards. Uh, he has a skill set and uh, you know a usage opportunity that other tight ends simply don't have. And you know Atlanta's pass rate is absolutely an issue I don't think it's possible for them to keep throwing only 25 times a game though but we'll see I mean people are like oh should
0: I bench Kyle Pitts for Taysom Hill I, you know and, and stuff like this I, I I get that and I get that Kyle Pitts's floor is really low and Taysom Hill's floor is really low I think Taysom is a unique case because you saw the ceiling that he can have it's just really hard for me to pull the trigger on Taysom Hill in one week he could play two snaps etc etc uh the on the uh Goddard one was the one we moved up. I mean, Goddard was the one that we moved up, the most 16 spots on Goddard, also in Joku, 24 spots. I mean, Goddard is a very, very talented player that they're running screen passes to, that they're running screen passes through. And if anything were to happen to Devonte Smith or A.J. Brown, I think Goddard's role would expand pretty well there. I, I, I do
1: just want to comment. I, I would hold the guys like Pitts and Kittle. You know, I definitely wouldn't sell low. Like Leonie said, it's kind of been worst case scenario and it, it can only go up for here from here. Uh, And then if you are trying to buy a tight end, I think David Njoku is interesting because he's had a uh, run around on over 80 percent of dropbacks in the last few weeks. And we'll get Deshaun Watson back for the fantasy playoffs, So I think, you know, if you're kind of buying high on any of the tight ends, I think Njoku is the one for me.
0: Yeah, I love Njoku. I just I don't think anybody's selling Njoku right now. Like at the tight end position, he's been so, so, so good. I think it's going to be hard to find someone. But if someone does want to get rid of their Njoku, maybe they have some like Andrews Njoku team or a Kelsey Njoku team. Maybe you could do it like that uh i want to talk about josh jacobs and a couple other running backs for a second here mark i mean we moved josh jacobs up significantly 24 spots 36th overall his role right now is among the best in the league and he's playing at a really high rate at like really high level one of the best in the league i think people will say man you guys could even have josh jacobs even higher than 36 overall What do you think about that, Mark? As you said, his role
1: is extremely elite. Uh, He has 79% of the Raiders team rush attempts right now. Only Jonathan Taylor has a higher mark among running backs. And no other running back is over 75%. So just getting so many of the carries there. And, you know, coming into the season, we were worried that they drafted Zamir White. Obviously, Josh McDaniels coming over from New England. They typically run a committee approach. So we were worried about a committee, but it really hasn't been that case at all with Jacob's uh, he had one target in in weeks one and two, and uh, and then but since then he's seen a fifteen percent target share over the last three weeks, which is also pretty elite among running backs. If we just looked at the whole season, fifteen percent would rank seventh among all running backs, and then he's also fourth in the NFL with eleven carries. Inside the 10 and no one else on the Raiders has even attempted a rush attempt inside the 10. So that goal line role is, you know, all to Jacobs. So pretty much every every box you can check with Jacobs at this point, uh, you know, is there with the goal line role. He's getting more involved in the passing game and then just, you know, pure volume as well. And as you mentioned, he's looked great. He has the third most broken tackles in the league. So Um, you know, I I think Josh Jacobs is is right there on the RB1 conversation and is just a yeah, a great back moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, not to harp too much on the preseason process, I was out on Josh Jacobs. That was a pretty bad mistake. I I think I thought Amir Abdul would play more, I thought Brendan Bolden would play more, I thought Zemir White would play more. I, I think when you have a guy who is a base back, a starter on a pretty good team. With some skills, like in the seventh or eighth round, it's probably good. And it's not. People are like, "Oh, see the dead zone." The dead zone. Josh Jacobs wasn't in the dead zone. Josh Jacobs was after the dead zone, and so you know I, there wasn't that much opportunity cost there to take Josh Jacobs in round seven or eight uh, or so. I think one more thing on this top part of running back, Mark. I think people will say, "How can you guys have Nick Chubb 18th overall? He's fantasy's best player." I talked about his schedule. Last week, Chargers' rush defense is still bad. I mean, people will say it's better than last year. It's still absolutely atrocious. He absolutely shredded them. People are saying, how can you have Nick Chubb, Fantasy's number one running back, Fantasy's number one player at 18th overall? I just want to remind people in this format, if you're playing Best Ball Resurrection, if you're trading for Nick Chubb, you don't get any of the points that he had. Schedule's about to get a lot, a lot, a lot tougher. But I see the case that people want to make. Nick Chubb is absolutely elite. Joe Mixon's been awful. Looks like he's running with a piano on his back I still prefer Mixon over Chubb personally, but I see the debate there. What do you think about the Chubb versus Mixon stuff, Mark?
1: Overall, just volume wise, like the role for Mixon is is honestly better in terms of uh, the amount of running back touches he's getting compared compared to his teammates. Um, and you know, Mixon has 15 rush attempts inside the 10 yard line. He only has one touchdown, whereas Nick Chubb has 10 attempts inside the 10, has scored four touchdowns. So again, if Mixon had just been able to convert, you know, a few more of those carries into touchdowns, I think things would look a lot different. Uh, Mixon is also a bit more game script proof than Nick Chubb. You know, we've seen the Browns play either from ahead or within a tight game scripts in each of the first five weeks. And as you mentioned, their schedule is about to get a lot tougher. Uh, Nick Chubb is, is, you know, like in the 40s among running backs with about a 6% target share. That's pretty horrible. Whereas Joe Mixon is up around 14%. So, you know, I think we haven't seen a game yet where the Browns fall behind. 14 to nothing, or, you know, are constantly clawing back. And in those game scripts, Nick Chubb is, is likely going to be removed for Kareem Hunt and not even be on the field. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Nick Chubb has looked unbelievable. He's an unbelievable running back. His efficiency is off the charts. The Browns offense has been humming uh, and they have a good offensive line. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fair to love Nick Chubb. Like we still have him as a top six running back. It's not like we're burying him and saying, you know, he's not going to be a good fantasy running back. But uh, I think just kind of, when you look at the overall pass the volume and potential upside, I, th- I think overall Mixon still has a slight edge there.
0: Yeah. I mean, next few games for Nick Chubb are uh, New England, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Miami, Buffalo, Tampa gets the Bengals again a couple weeks after that Ravens. So yeah, it's going to get tougher. Not that he can't do it, but it's certainly going to get tougher. Um, I want to bring up this kind of Kenneth Walker stuff, Leonie, uh, Kenneth Walker and Miles Sanders, I, I think are kind of, similar in that they're going to lose some pass down work, I think. And to me, Miles Sanders situation is more stable. In other words, Miles Sanders offensive line is better. Miles Sanders offense as a whole is better. And this is coming from someone who actually thinks the Gino stuff is, is kind of legit, but I, maybe, you know, there's some ignorance on my part. Cause I was not like some tape grinder that knows a ton about how good Kenneth Walker can or could be. I just know I really like Miles Sanders. So what do you think about how Kenneth Walker fits? The rest of the way, would you blow 100%
2: of your fab budget on Kenneth Walker if he was out there? I would blow 100% of my fab budget if Kenneth Walker's out there. But you know, Mark's chuckling because I've been on Kenneth Walker since the preseason, and honestly, it could not have broken any better for Kenneth Walker. One, the offense actually, you know, not only is not atrocious but somewhat good so far under Gino. I think that regresses some, but it's obviously as bullish as you could be on the offense and then you you get injuries to both Rashad Penny out for the year and then you've got an injury to Travis Homer as well which helps they dialed up some pass plays for Kenneth Walker when he was playing sparingly behind Rashad Penny and I'm just like a little bit more into these backs that can be hyper efficient in today's day and age and to talk about Nick Chubb we were kind of joking unestablished a million that Rashad Penny was mini Chubb I think Walker can step in there. We saw the long rush for a touchdown last week. I think we're going to see him at like 5 plus yards per carry, but it's certainly a bet on efficiency. Him versus Miles feels a little bit like a coin flip. I, I'm you know sometimes I'm a little more prone to taking like the, you know, what's in the box, the surprise, the unseen thing and I have a little bit of that going on with Kenneth Walker because he was a really elite rushing prospect in terms of both his production and his athletic profile. Um but Sanders' I mean, you talk about efficiency. Sanders is at 5.0 you know 0 yards per attempt for his career. There aren't a whole ton of backs that have done that. They've shown a little bit more of a willingness to go to him. And he's getting the touchdown regression we kind of expected. You know, He actually had more carries inside the 10 last year than people realized. And Adam, you noted this year he's got a bunch as well. So that stuff's a little bit overblown, although I have just a touch of concern that when Boston Scott is healthy, they will still mix in three backs there. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, okay, let's go to this great Tyler Lockett and Geno Smith debate of 2022. So my priors come into the year where that Seattle was going to be really bad. And G- Gino, it was going to be a struggle. And, uh, Gino would, uh, you know, be a sub average NFL quarterback. Gino has been the best quarterback in the NFL. They are positive in pass rate. Over expectation, they really have it pretty tight in terms of who they throw to. Okay. And we know we have a huge sample of Tyler Lockett being a very, very, very good player. And so people are saying, How? How can Tyler Lockett be the wide receiver 31 with everything that I just said? Mark, what do you say to the people who say we are too low on Tyler Lockett? And then I do want to get some takes here from Leone on Tyler Lockett versus other dusty wide receivers in this range. Well, We'll see if they're dusty or not. But anyways, go ahead, Mark, on the Tyler Lockett stuff.
1: Sure. I mean, I you know any anytime someone's coming off a hundred yard game where they score two touchdowns, I think most people are going to think we're too low. You know, if they're not in the top ten or fifteen. Uh, that being said, Tyler Lockett is is a strong player. Um, has been consistently great with Russell Wilson. You know, we were expecting a decline with Gino, and as you mentioned, that hasn't happened yet. And Gino continues to play well, and, and Tyler Lockett has seen a twenty five percent target share, which is you know pretty great among. Uh, wide receivers. So, you know, I, I think we're low just because uh, we're still not necessarily fully bought into the Seattle offense. Thriving like this, they are—they are not a you know positive pass rate over expectation team right now. They're about neutral. Um, their offensive plays per game are still some of the lowest in the league at 55. You know, despite some some spike weeks there in, in weeks three and four. So um, you know, their their defense is horrible. Can't really get off the field consistently. So I I still think we're going to see some games where there's low volume for Lockett. Um, and you know, but I, I think wide receiver three range is, is kind of right for him at this point. We're going to see some spike weeks. We're going to see some weeks where he only gets five or six targets and, you know, catches four of them. So uh, I think obviously we've seen some of the better weeks where we're going to get out of him from the season. And, you know, we're trying to take the long approach here and and kind of bake in some regression for a Seattle offense that, uh, you know, maybe we're clinging to our priors too much on, but um, I, I still don't think they're going to be as elite as they've shown the last couple of weeks against the lions and, uh, you know, obviously outperformed expectations against the saints.
0: So it my my counter to to this is that when we have a team with a really bad defense, like Seattle's defense might be just as bad, if not worse, than Detroit, and a good offense, and like I I think the Geno stuff might be a little bit stickier than you guys. And so if you combine that a really bad defense with a quarterback who's playing really well and two really good wide receivers, that's all that they throw to. To me, that's like a recipe for sustained success. I know he just came off hundred yards and two touchdowns. He's had a bunch of games, good games before that. He's had a long career of having good games. And so to me, I have major concerns about Juju Schuster, who we'll get to in a second. Everybody knows I've been out on Michael Thomas since before the year. I you know Terry McLaurin is losing so much to Curtis Samuel, et cetera, et cetera. Leone, what do you think about how we have Lockett compared to some of these other guys? And I do want to get into the what to do with Juju conversation.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, sometimes you get into these ranges of the rankings, honestly, where it's, it's just hard. Like, you know, we're doing our best to sort of balance the priors before the season with what we've seen so far and what we expect to see moving forward. I could see a case for Lockett anywhere from, let's say, like wide receiver 25 to wide receiver, you know, 35. I think he belongs in that range. We kind of have him in the middle of that range Right now, after some debate, we moved him up into the middle, and I think that makes sense. He belongs in the middle of that range, but like he's not going to catch eighty percent of his passes at a thirteen point two eight. I don't think anyone expects that. He's wide receiver eight currently, so that's obviously factored in. But um, it's difficult. I do want to make a point on Lockett, like him, Jacoby Myers. We talked about Josh Jacobs. There are a few guys that we were ahead on in our ranks in the off season, and you know, I didn't even trust it fully a lot of times when I was drafting and. I think there's a point to be made, and Amiko made it in our Slack earlier that we think about upside like almost if it doesn't follow an obvious linear narrative path, sometimes we dismiss the upside. But sometimes guys that are just like decent in right spots, like if they're going late enough, it's it's worth the bet. And that's kind of what the case was with Myers Lockett and Jacobs. Now, as far as some of these other dusty wide receivers that haven't performed, there's a trio in particular of Jerry, Judy, DJ Moore, and Juju Smith-Schuster right in that locket range that have not performed. And I think with all of these players, we have um, probably Juju most questionable, but we feel pretty good about the talent on those players. I guess Judy's pretty questionable too, but he was a pretty strong prospect. First round pick, hasn't always dealt with the best quarterback play, but His usage has been pretty good so far. Both him and Juju are on the Baileoni model. Their teams have had strong team totals for their targets. We would have expected them to perform better than they have based on the usage they've had, not even accounting for the fact that we think they might be good players. Like skill agnostic, they should have performed better. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster has eight targets in four out of five games coming from Patrick Mahomes. Even being on the injury report this last week was his highest snap share of the entire season. I think he's going to lead the wide receivers among Kansas city in target. So I don't feel great about this ceiling, but I think, you know, he's going to, he should run better. Um, If he continues to not run better, we'll continue to drop him, but I don't want to put a, put a guy out to pasture who has that sort of role for the Kansas city chiefs right now. And then same thing with DJ Moore. I just want, I want to see another week or two without Baker with the coaching change, see what happens, but it's not like he hasn't been utilized. it's just been, Really, really inefficient. It's possible it stays that inefficient, but the wide receivers do thin out kind of quickly, in my opinion, when you start to get past wide receiver 36, which makes me more willing to have patience on these guys. There's also
0: some trade outs for DJ Moore, right? Like if they completely blow it up, I don't think get anyone to take DJ Moore and his contract. But if they if they can, DJ Moore could be on the move. And I think that's at least worth noting. My concern on Juju Smith Schuster is that, yeah. He might lead wide receivers and targets, but it's still only like an 18% target share. And his A dot is eight yards. And when you have an A dot that low, you need a lot of volume to get there. And especially when you're not separating and you don't have a lot of yak ability, which I don't think Juju really has. And this is all like, you know, it, it could change. Uh, but I don't know. I was really big on Juju before the season and and um yeah, I'm scared. I, I'm scared.
2: Yeah, I'm scared too, like to be clear. Like I'm I'm not not scared, but you know, we're trying to trying to just weigh everything we can, you know, as best as possible and not be be too reactionary. It's one that, you know, possibly we're not reacting quick enough. But, um, yeah, he keeps getting eight targets a week, though. We'll, we'll see if he continues to not perform. Like I said, we'll drop him. But I suspect we'll see him run a little bit better. He got tackled inside the five, I think, twice um, in that Monday night game against against the Raiders. If he finds the end zone twice, I think the conversation's already a little bit different. Um,
0: let's go to Arizona. There's a lot going on with Arizona. I mean, obviously Cliff has completely handcuffed the team with just ridiculously poor, uh, scheming and not getting his players in position to win. I think there's a narrative out there that DeAndre Hopkins is going to come back and save this team. I I don't see it that way. I didn't think DeAndre Hopkins was very good last year. He's reaching an age where I think you start to see serious decline. And I think Cliff just has no idea how to use any of these guys. I, and, and we firmly think Marquise Brown is better. And DeAndre Hopkins, even with DeAndre Hopkins, comes back. I think people also have questions about Eno now because his opportunity is striking, but they have a lot of guys out. James Conner is also banged up. So, Mark, I know it's hard to do the Arizona stuff because, my God, there's so many different moving parts and so much doltism going on with the scheme. But what do you think about Hopkins coming back, how that affects things? Then also, could we have Eno even higher maybe? I don't know if we can.
1: Yeah, I think I'm on a bit of an island actually with Hopkins here. I'm I'm pretty excited about him coming back. Um, not necessarily just for the overall Cardinals team success, but I do think he is going to be a very solid fantasy contributor. Uh, I also will note that Hopkins is the same age as Tyler Lockett, so in terms of you know age-adjusted production, like uh, I don't I don't think you know there's too big of a gap there. Um, and then I think you know with Hopkins, him having this time off, I, I think is going to benefit him. Um, last year, he obviously. Missed the latter part of the por- uh, season with an injury. He's had all offseason to recover and rehab and get healthy. Uh, he has this massive chip on his shoulder coming off, you know, obviously the PED suspension. And with these older players, like we always, you know, Evan always harps on, we want to play those guys early in the season when they're at full strength and when they're healthy. And Hopkins is literally all he's been doing is training and rehabbing, you know, this these past six weeks. Uh, and we'll be a, a completely fresh body when he comes into the offense And then last year, his role, you know, his target share definitely dipped from his first season in Arizona, but it was still very solid. Uh, He still finished top 25 in the league in targets inside the 10 yard line, despite only playing 10 games last year. And uh, so I I expect him, you know, you mentioned Cliff just absolutely plugs these guys back into the exact same roles as kind of they've always had. So, you know, I think he's going to supplant AJ Green on the outside and I think he's going to get a lot of looks in the red zone and, uh, you know, around the end zone, because obviously Marquise Brown, his biggest bugaboo is that he's short and and can't really, uh, you know, separate and consistently earn those targets in the, in the red zone and close in areas. So I think Hopkins is still going to have the majority role there. Uh, You mentioned Connor is banged up. So, you know, if Connor misses, I, I think even more stuff could go to Hopkins there. So I'm definitely bullish on him returning, uh, in terms of Eno, I, he's, he's going to be my buy later on in the show. So I'll kind of save my spiel for him then. I, I think he's a great buy at this point. Um, the, Car- the Cardinals, you know, signed two running backs to their practice squad, which kind of indicates their, the, the injuries might be an issue with Connor uh, and Daryl Williams. So, yeah, I think Eno is, is a great pickup and stash at this point in time.
0: All right. For people playing in the underdog resurrection stuff, you'll notice that ADP on quarterbacks is absolutely out of control like a bunch of guys, a fistful guy going in the top 10, in the top 15. It sounds crazy, right? And it sounds crazy to me, Leonia, someone who's been a long-time late-round quarterback, recently shifted to mid-round quarterback guy where we got guys like Hurts and Lamar Jackson, and I took a bunch of Kyler and stuff like that. Now, I get that the landscape has changed. I get that people understand how dominant Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts are. Top five, though, for a quarterback, can that be right? leone and what do you think about the quarterback
2: landscape going forward yeah i mean i feel like we're rehashing a lot of what we talked about which is these quarterbacks have more upside in a more predictable fashion than they've had before but there reaches a point where there's too much strain on the rest of your roster when you can get guys like you know aaron Rodgers, for example you know Outside, outside the top 100. He's just inside the top 100. You can get a guy like Tua outside the top 100. You can get Dak 95th overall. And Gino. You can <laughs> yeah. you can take Gino outside the top 100. You know, Golf right around there. You know, everyone's giving up on Russ. And you're obviously seeding points at the position, but you have multiple quarterbacks to try and make up for that, which I don't think is the best argument because that's part of the reason you take the elite guys is like, you know, Russ Wilson and Stafford together still like can't equal one of those Josh Allen weeks that, we had last week there's just there's a tipping point for everything and i think the the adp is too early um i think if you want to reach on quarterbacks in the resurrection contest you know herbert at 31 kyler at 41 brady at 59 Dak at like 95 like those guys are better bets to me because um what happens at the other positions is you're taking guys that could be like complete zeros later on in draft like So you start comparing Cooper Cup to, you know, other wide receiver threes and whatnot on paper right now, it might not look like the biggest gap, but there's a lot more fragility in that wide receiver three you're comparing to Cooper Cup than there is in that quarterback, you know, like Dak Prescott compared to Josh Allen. And I think that's kind of, the issue is like on paper, I can see where the quarterback seems like it makes so much sense if you do like a value above replacement player type thing. But what that math fails to account for is the volatility of the fringe skill players. Uh, I want to talk about stashes for a
0: second here, Mark. Um, Silva brought up an interesting one on the team by team yesterday. Hope you guys listened to in Josh Kelly. In other words, he has some base work, he has some work. Around the goal line when Sony isn't getting it. It looks like they prefer Josh Kelly to Sony, at least for now. Josh Kelly also plays okay in the pass game. And if everything, anything happened to Eckler, I don't think we'd see a full blown Josh Kelly. We would see Josh Kelly maybe lead a committee in a really good spot. That would be a stash that I thought was interesting. Any other stashes come to mind for you for people to keep on the end of their bench?
1: Uh, I did pick up Kelly in, in a couple leagues. So I do like that one for sure. Eno is, is at the top of the list. For me as well, um, you know, I, I think guys like, I mean, that that are still avail- available on the waiver wire. It's it's super thin. Um,
0: so what about what about Eli? What about Eli, Eli? Mitchell?
1: Yeah, I think I think Eli Mitchell is okay. If you you know are, are like four and one or five and zero oh in your league and are kind of planning starting to plan for the playoffs, I, I think he's going to be out at least another month. And then if Jeff Wilson, you know, continues to play well or or Davis Price comes back and and plays well, then I'm not sure what his role will be. I I think he's, you know, a good stash and in deeper leagues for sure. Um, I think Deshaun Watson, similar boat, like if you have a strong team and kind of have these middling quarterbacks, I think he's a good stash at this point in time. It's definitely getting a little tougher with bye weeks coming on. Um, You know, obviously we've hit on Jalen Warren in weeks past. Like I I wouldn't expect him to still be on the waiver wire, but he's an elite stash and, and it looks like he'll just get even more base work as the weeks go on. So Um, yeah, I mean, those are probably the top guys I'd keep in mind.
2: I was looking at Matt Breida a little bit too. in some of my deeper leagues, it looks like he's the backup to Barkley. Barkley went down a little bit last game though. And Brightwell came in and scored the goal line touchdown. That's the only concern there is generally when you're stashing guys like this, you want it to be someone like, you know, Kenneth Walker, Jeff Wilson, where when the injury happens, it's very clear plus in value. It's harder. Like someone like Tyler Algier, for example, he got two injuries in front of him and it's still kind of debatable whether or not he's startable. So um, try and find guys that seem like if the unlikely thing happens, they will, they will benefit substantially.
0: Uh, uh, other stashes for me, and I know we've said it every week, I'm still trying to hold Kadarius 20 where I can. I mean, if this freaking guy could ever get on the freaking practice field and get out onto the field in a regular season game, I feel like he would have actual big games. That's what Leonie's talking about. I want to stash guys who, if I'm holding them on my bench, when I can actually use them, I better be freaking excited about using them. You know what I mean? And I get that's easier in yeah. more shallow leagues, but you know, I'm still excited about Kadarius. I don't know on Wandale, but I feel like Wandale at least is on the track to being a little bit healthier. I don't know exactly when Wandale will be back though. Also on the Cleveland stuff, I just wanted to note that we are baking in Deshaun Watson coming back, and obviously that'll be a big boost here for these guys. Pretty much everyone, um, getting Deshaun Watson in there for the final few games instead of Jacoby Brissett. Uh, let's talk about the Ramondre situation. Uh, you mentioned Pierre strong, Leone. I think that's interesting. I kind of think Taylor might be ahead this week, but I don't know. Pierre strong certainly has more upside, more unknown. And I kind of talked about that on solo pod too, where like, when you get into spots where you're already at a floor, everybody already has a floor of zero. Like Mm -hmm. what I said on the solo pod was we know Marquez Caldwell sucks. Cleo Shakir could be like the best part in the NFL. We have no idea, you know. And so there was some unknown there that I think should be leaned into. What do you think about the Ramondre
2: situation, Leone? And I know you mentioned Pierre Strong. Yeah, I mean Ramondre obviously moves up really high in our rankings. They only made two running backs active last week when Damien Harris was hurt, so they, they they clearly don't like Pierre Strong or JJ Taylor all that much. In order to have done that to begin with, especially for the type of team New England is, that's a little bit rare for them. So uh, it seems like. Ramondre is going to play a ton. He's going to play in the passing game. Uh, It just kind of comes down to, you know, how successful can they be offensively? It was a really good matchup last week against Detroit. I have some concerns about the offense systemically. And as far as behind him, I'm not really sure between Taylor and Pierre Strong. I think right now it's worth stashing either of them and kind of seeing who plays ahead the next, you know, the next week. It's better to stash him now for a dollar than to have to pay a lot more for whichever one plays a meaningful role next week. I certainly think they're going to mix in one of those guys, maybe perhaps even more than the market thinks they're going to. Uh, Last thing to
0: get to here before we get to our uh, moves to make, I I think, I don't think i drop Antonio Gibson because you never know what happens in a long season. But, you know, I've been super low on Antonio Gibson the whole time. It's very clear the staff doesn't hate him. I mean, you could make a case, though, if you're in a shower league to cut Antonio Gibson for some of these higher upside stashes. If you had Antonio Gibson, Mark, what would you be doing right now? Is there anyone maybe you would cut him for?
1: Yeah, honestly, like I, I would be looking to trade him. I mean, well, he's he's um, basically a handcuff at this point, right? It, it seems like Brian Robinson is kind of going to take the early down work, and McKissick is going to be in there on third down. So you're you're hoping for you know a Brian Robinson injury for any value on Antonio Gibson. But uh, so he was someone like I would trade for Eno Benjamin right now. I think people would do that trade. Uh, I think it's interesting someone you know trading him. For someone like Cordero Patterson, who's hurt right now, is going to come back and and play in an offense in Atlanta that, you know, just loves to run the ball and establish it. So, um, you know, even like Jalen Warren, I wouldn't mind trading him for uh, if you're just looking for for running back. So uh, I definitely wouldn't mind cutting Gibson. I'm kind of viewing him as a handcuff at this point, you know, the Washington offense, we've, we've, we saw them kind of come back to earth a little bit after running 70 plus plays in the first four weeks, they ran, I think like 55 in week five. And um, so, yeah, I don't have too much hope left for Antonio Gibson other than an injury and and we will be willing to to trade him um, for another handcuff that I think has probably more upside.
0: Okay. All right. Oh, you mentioned Jalen Warren. We, we should talk about Najee for a second here. Hopefully nobody who subscribed to ETR or uh, listened to any of our podcasts or anything has Najee, I hope. But if you did, Leone, is it too late to sell him? I mean, we said on the show, hopefully you listened to sell on Najee after week one. Uh, now it's getting to a point where I don't know that anyone will actually take him. But would you just like take whatever you can get for Najee at this point? I don't think I would give up that fast. We have him 49th here, though. I think that's probably about the right range. How would you handle Najee if you actually had him?
2: Yeah. Someone in the comments asked, you know, would you trade Najee Harris for Kenneth Walker? Like I'm, I'm probably just holding on to Najee Harris because the workload there does have the potential to be really good. The issue with Najee, of course, the inefficiency from last year has carried over somehow the offense is worse than last year, which seemed hard to believe coming into the year. And with the Liz Frank and everything, he's actually playing a little bit less and he's the type of guy, if you're going to be that inefficient, you need him to play every down. Uh, it's difficult I mean, I think I'd just be holding him. I called him and Derrick Henry sells after week two, you know, one went one way, one went the other way. Um, if you sold them both, you're probably not happy, but you're, you know, if you just sold Derrick Henry, you're not happy. Like if you could trade Najee for maybe Deandre Hopkins, but that kind of assumes you're okay at running back though. So, yeah, um I think, I think you just got to hold them and maybe, maybe hope for one really good week and then, and then try and move them. But, it, it seems like the worst possible time to try and sell him right now. All right. It's time to get to everybody's favorite portion of the program.
0: The moves to make. We will each give one move to make. I think we certainly ran hot last week on moves to make. Although the Godwin, I said, I think I said by Godwin, maybe that was two weeks ago. But now I'm a little worried after you only ran around on about half the Tom Brady dropbacks last week, I believe. Uh, Mark had the Gabe Davis and Khalil Shakir by calls. I think Leone was on Lockett, or maybe it was Mark. I don't remember exactly, but we've been running good on these. Let's try to stay hot. Mark, I'll give you the honors.
1: Yeah, so I kind of teased it a little bit, but mine is is to pick up Eno you know, Benjamin if he's out there or to trade um, for him because you know I, I think I think we've seen some signs out of Arizona that the running backs might not be healthy and might miss this week. And then James Conner, you know, has continued to battle injury. Uh, bug over his career so I think now is, is kind of the perfect time to go out and get Eno uh, before he potentially explodes he's shown he's proven to be a solid player this year you know we were questioning coming into the season oh he's had two seasons in Arizona and really hasn't gotten on the field maybe he's not that good but at this point in time he's ranked fourth in uh, pro football Focus's elusive rating which factors in, factors in missed tackles uh, you know per touch and yards after contact so he's he's been strong there as I mentioned earlier, the Cardinals signed two running backs to the practice squad. They already ruled out Darrell Williams for this week. Uh, James Conner has been battling an ankle injury, and then picked up a rib injury in this past game, so he could definitely miss this upcoming week. And then, uh, you know, just with the uh, Hopkins, you know, coming back on the horizon. I'm expecting this Cardinal's offense to continue to to climb up the you know efficiency rankings. So I, I would want you know he's he's like my top stash at this point outside of maybe Rashad White or some other you know top tier handcuffs. I'm, I'm I'm really interested in you know Benjamin at this point.
0: All right,
2: by Eno Benjamin, from Mark Leone, go ahead. Um, I'll give two. I'll give one real quick. I think if people are panicking on I'm on Ross St. Brown. We still have him really, really high relative to the market. Uh, sometimes, you know, he just clearly wasn't all the way back last week. Um, so I'd look at him, but you know, we hit on the tight end stuff and I think now's the time to get George Kittle. You know, he has one explosion week and it completely changes because tight end is so bad top to bottom um, with the exception of the very top that uh, as high as people think we are on George Kittle right now, he has one of those smash games next week. They're going to tell us we're too low on George Kittle. And his yards per target since 2018, 10.1, 9.8, 10.1, 9.7. This year, it's 6.6. I actually think the volumes, it's not going to be great, but it's going to be good enough. It's going to be commensurate with other tight ends. He you has know, a lot more efficiency upside. So now's the time to get Kittle. If you can trade like Higby or something for him, I think I would do it for the upside. But, you know, that's that's my take.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I actually tweeted about this last week because I actually don't know on George Kittle, right? Like, if you actually told me, like, look me in the eyes, tell me I have a crystal ball. George Kittle is going to have two 30-point games the rest of the way, and the rest are all going to be single digits. How would you value George Kittle? I honestly don't know. You don't know when those two games are coming. You're going to have to eat a lot of single-digit games. I agree with you that there's probably two 30-point games or at least 25-point games coming from George Kittle. It's just a really hard thought exercise. I think Leone's point is that most of the tight ends, you're going to get single digits from every week. So why not go after the guy who actually is going to get 2 30 point games, right? Um, I think it's one way. Yeah, back.
2: essentially. And I also think at, at five targets a game, you know, he's going to, I mean, yeah, they're going to be a lot of single digit games, but yeah.
0: All right. I'm going to go outside the box with this one. And I think Mark is going to disagree with this one, but my move to make is sell deandre hopkins i know what you're thinking i've been holding deandre hopkins all year all year he's been sitting on my bench adam i've been waiting for this moment for deandre hopkins to get off suspension and play him yes this is also when his perceived value is the highest once he gets out there and shows that he's 30 years old with this freaking idiot cliff kingsbury nobody's going to want deandre hopkins anymore in my opinion and so the peak value for deandre hopkins is actually before before he plays the game and i get that it sucks you've held him this whole time but you got a discount on draft day DeAndre Hopkins. Now you've held him. His value is theoretically higher. We have him here 48th overall. And so once he gets out there, if he gets out there and looks bad, it's over. Like you're not gonna be able to get anything for him. If I was holding DeAndre Hopkins this whole time, which I haven't obviously, but if I was holding DeAndre Hopkins this whole time, I would be trying to sell him now. All right. Hopefully this was enjoyable and value for all you guys. Again, if you have questions that we did not answer on this show, go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button, leave your question in the comments after this show. We will get to all of them if you post it by tonight slash very early Thursday morning, and then there will be a cutoff, but appreciate y'all being here again. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. I will be back on Friday night to talk about the week six DFS slate headline by Chiefs Bills with Silva and Wiggins. And then we'll have Establish a Million with Leonie and Dink on Saturday. For Mark, for Leonie, I'm Adam. Good luck, everybody.